Hear now the word of the Lord that comes to us from the prophet Isaiah in speaking some 500 years before the advent, the first advent of Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In times he treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali with content. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. And there will be no end of the increase of his government or of peace, or the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That wonderful passage, that prophetic message of the coming of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ speaks of a lightness that comes in to a dark place. The Apostle Paul picking up on the theme from Isaiah and a theme that is recurrent throughout all of Holy Scripture is going to show us today how we are to live in the light of his return by being sons of light and not sons of darkness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in faith, we turn to you, recognizing the fact that your holy word tells us that as you came in bodily form the first time, you will return in glory the second time. And as you created the earth, you will recreate it. And as you formed the first Eden, which Adam and Eve ruined with the fall, you will come back and reestablish a new Eden, which will never, ever fall. And your people will dwell there forever and ever and ever. Lord, as with every sermon, there are two people who are going to hear this sermon. Those people who are in light, who need to go into greater light, and those people who are in darkness, who need to come to the light. So we pray, Lord, for sanctification for the saints and for salvation of the sinners as a result of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Please do turn to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 11 today. Uh, you might find your home group help uh, of assistance to kind of follow along with me. Uh, one hand, on one side, we have the outline of today's sermon. Also, on the other hand, side, we have some uh, contemplative questions that you might consider going back over either in home group or in your devotions or uh, just with your roommates to kind of go deeper. It's our desire not to just to, uh, just to uh, do a drive-by shooting of the Word of God. We want to dwell. We want to, we want to go deep. Uh, within uh, what the Lord is saying and to, uh, as the Puritans would say, chew the cud, the spiritual cud of the word of God and to ruminate over and over and over again. Uh, so let me read the text. It's in entirety. And then we will look at the various components, the three different parts of the sermon this morning. First Thessalonians chapter five, beginning with verse four, God says the apostle Paul writes, but you brethren are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as other do, others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are the day, let us be sober, 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Again, we're going to be looking at three parts here. We're going to see the contrast of the natures of sons of darkness and sons of light in verses 4 through 5, the conduct of their lives in verses 6 through 8, and the condition of their destinies in verses 9 through 11. And I will tell you that the preparation for the, uh, as we're really getting deep into these texts about the return of Jesus Christ, and we will continue to do so as we go into Paul's next letter to the second Thessala- uh, Thessalonians, uh, um, it has been some of the, the most glorious preparation I've ever done. It just goes deep. I find my heart, as John Wesley said, strangely warmed all through this preparation, just being overwhelmed with gratitude as one who can look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, where he will establish everything and that, our, and that the things that we can't even, don't even dare to dream of will be daily events uh, forever and ever and ever. On the other hand, there is a sober serious, kind of terrifying thought as well. Uh, Because while the sons of light long and look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, the son of darkness have every reason to dread it. And, And scripture is willing to scare you towards God. And in some ways, this passage will do that, and as will other passages as well. So with a a joyful sobriety, we want to unpack these texts and what is it that the Apostle Paul is telling us. So first of all, you see the contrast of the natures of the sons of darkness and of the sons of light. He makes a contrast here. He starts off by saying, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. Who are the brethren? Christians, okay? And again, this is very important. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian believers, this text is meant for Christians. So, that, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. Now, he's pulling reference back to uh, what he said in verse, uh, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, that is the return of Jesus Christ for judgment and from glory, uh, will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So when he uses these pronouns, they and them, he's distinguishing the Thessalonians from the unbelievers who will experience God's wrath at this point, not the pleasure of the return of Jesus Christ, not seeing his glory, not being taken up with him to reestablish the new heavens and the new earth here. Uh, there is a difference between the, 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 the contrast between the natures of the people of the dark and people of the light. And this event will show that very clearly. Right now, we live together. Sons of darkness, sons of life, we live together as wheat lives with tares. But there's going to come a time of the great harvest where the angels will gather together the wheat and the tares in separate, uh, separate barns. And he goes on to say, for you are sons of light and sons of day. Now, if you're female, this applies to you just as much as it does male. Uh, 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 females and males are all made in the image of God. Females and males are all uh, heirs of salvation. They're all adopted children of God if they're, if they're Christians. But, what it is, but this idea of sons of is an is a idiomatic Hebrew expression to describe the dominant influence 
in a person's life. You see, in the Old Testament, where, where certain scallywags were called sons of Belial. They were sons of the devil. Uh, you know that uh, James and John, because of their alpha-type aggressive personalities, were called sons of thunder. Uh, Jews, Ju, uh, Judas is called a son of perdition, a son of hell. Uh, Barnabas is called a son of encouragement, okay? So basically, a Christian is a, is a, is a son of the light because he, is a, he or she is a son of God. That title applies to both male and female because light belongs to the day just as darkness belongs to night. You know, we still do this, right? We have a son named McBride, and McBride is an old Gaelic name, which means the son of Bridget. Uh, one of the three pra pa patron saints of Ireland. So 1,500 years ago, whenever it was, there were people who were disciples of Bridget, and they got to be known of sons of Bridget, and that name is now uh, a proper name. So we do the same sort of thing now. So, so y'all were all McLights. All true Christians are sons of light. Uh, John chapter 8, 12 says this, I am the light of the day, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. And even in our darkest times, Christians kind of know this, don't we? We can sense this. Even when we have difficulty, even when we're perhaps depressed or whatever, we, we come back. We come back to that which we love. There is light that we know there that, that is there, but it may be very dim, but there's still light there. So why, why is that idea of you being, if you're a Christian, you being a son of light, why is that so important? What is it about light that makes that such an honorary title, that makes that such a descriptor of the Christian light? Well, I came up with seven ideas of light here, right? First of all, light represents truth and authenticity, right? Dark covers up. Dark tries to hide truth. Dark is insincere, but light reveals. Psalm uh, 36, 9, in your light we will see light. Uh, when I went to seminary at uh, Columbia International University in Columbia, the library, the old library I think built in the 60s, had that uh, engraved in stone above the door. And it was wonderful because you're walking in there to read all the, the Bibles and the Christian books and everything. In thy light, we will see light. In the light that God gives us, we will see the light of God himself. It represents safety and security, right? You, uh, what do you do when you're scared? You leave the lights on, right? It, it, that gives you a sense of security, a sense of safety. It reveals the way, right? Uh, darkness hides the way, but uh, every, uh, it reveals the way. When you go hiking or camping, uh, you don't carry with you a flash dark. Because you want to be able to see the way, right? Turn the flashlight on and be able to see the day. It creates growth and health and life. Uh, two years ago in October, I was going up to Virginia for an event and had to be there at four in the morning, pulling out four in the afternoon, pulling out early in the morning. And there was a large pecan tree uh, over my driveway. And I thought, I got to get rid of that pecan tree, but I got to be in Virginia. So I'm texting and I'm asking who are tree movers and all this kind of stuff. Ended up a blessing. One of our deacons came over with a chainsaw, removed that thing. We were able to get into the driveway. But I have a problem with these pecan trees. I have four pecan trees in my backyard. Two are very healthy, but two are under oak trees. And the pecan trees love light. And light brings growth and prosperity. But if you were to look at my backyard, you'd see these pecan trees that are going like this. They're reaching for the light. And this one went too far and fell into the driveway. But that's what, that's what light does. It brings growth. It attracts to itself. That's what you're to do. 
That's what you're to do. You're, you're to be attractive to the world. There should be something in you that people see that they don't see in the darkness that's around them. One of the problems is uh, people say, well, the church is full of hypocrites and they're just as sinful as everybody else. You know, that's just not been my experience. But I think one reason why, I mean, we're imperfect, we're sinful, yes. But, but by and large, I would say that y'all are better than the population. And part of the reason why is y'all are real Christians. Every, so many people take the title Christian and they're not. They don't have a, the minority of people in church. They have a biblical worldview. Most people think you get to heaven by being good. That's not Christian doctrine. That's the doctrine of the world. So what the world needs in its darkness is people that, that they can recognize. That's a light. That's a light. That's a light. And they'll stretch out towards that because it creates growth and health. It warms, right, the affections, the emotions uh, towards others. Uh, represents purity and cleanliness. Mold doesn't grow in the sunlight, <laughs> Right? It grows in the dark, and it represents authenticity. Psalm 119.105 says this, The Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light uh, to my path. So we are, he makes this contrast here. He's wanting to make sure that they, because they're struggling a little bit. You know, again, the Thessalonian church is this. Paul planted the church, uh, was giving them some great doctrine, but had to kind of get out of town at night because of the great persecutions that rose up. So he sort of left some things untaught. He got them started on the return of Christ, but probably didn't get to complete the lessons. Since Paul's been gone, some of the precious saints in that church have died. And now they're confused. Well, if they've died and then the Lord comes back, then they've missed out on the Lord coming back. So they're lost. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. no that, it's all going to be fine. So he, he's answering some of their questions, but in this he's given us this rich truth of eschatology about the things of, of Christ's return here. But he wants them to have some assurance here too. You are not of the darkness. I am describing the world, not you genuine Christians. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Who is of the night? Who is of the darkness? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. And that's important because there are people that are very religious and very moral that are still in the darkness because they are not believers. They do not believe in Jesus Christ. They are getting to heaven in their mind because of their morality. They've never killed anybody. They never ride a bank. They always rake their yard. They always take their garbage uh, once it's been uh, to the backyard, once it's been emptied. Uh, they they uh, make sure that their children have a nutritious lunch. You know? They're members of the Lions Club, those sort of things. And then the highly religious people that are basically practicing a, a, a religion that, that, that of works that makes God owe them something because of their good behavior. Those folks are still in darkness. They may be pretty, they may be clean, but they are still in darkness. It's the believer who trust the Lord for salvation, who believe that they can't get to heaven by being good or being moral. That's the one who is in the light, who is a son of light and a son of day here. Again, this goes right back to Scripture and uh, uh, even the opening of John, John chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. As a result of their lack of faith and the life uh, that they live, the, the, when the Lord comes back, it's, he's going to, they're going to be condemned on the day of judgment as opposed to this something for them to look forward to. And the, the day of the Lord will overtake them like a thief. They're going to be surprised. They're going to be shocked. 
that all this stuff you kept telling them at Thanksgiving actually did come true. All these things that may, may have seen on the side or may even read themselves about the return of Christ actually comes true because it's going to overtake them like a thief. John goes on in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, and this is the judgment that the light is coming to the world and the men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. You know, it's, uh, it, it, when you are in the light, you are exposed. And there's an awful lot of things that most humans want hidden and that they don't want exposed. Again, that's the difference between Christianity. With Christianity, when someone get, comes to saving faith, they recognize, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. I fall upon your mercy. I, I hold to the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're authentic. The gospel good news has to be preceded by bad news. You're a sinner and you're going to hell. The good news is this. You don't have to. But Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross. But you've got to believe in them. You know, it's so uncomplicated for those of us who've, who've made that, that transition, isn't it? And yet, you can say those same words to some people that are in the darkness 15 times in 15 minutes and... That it doesn't click. It does, they don't have the spiritual eyes to see that wonderful, simple truth. Paul speaks about the nature of the Gentile, of Gentiles in general, people of the world uh, in, uh, in Ephesus before their conversion. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as Gentiles who walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Here's the thing, is if you don't think that there's accountability, you don't think the Lord's coming back, you don't think there's actually a God out there who sees everything, that informs your decisions. That informs your decisions. So it's whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. That's, that's the mindset of darkness. Now, praise God, if there was no human conscience, I don't think life would even exist on planet Earth because people would sin as much as they possibly can. But God has given every human, good and bad, people in light and dark, a human conscience that convicts or affirms them. And that keeps this darkness at bay to a certain degree. But what's happening over time is people are searing their conscience to the point they don't listen to it anymore because they keep violating it. But I keep wanting to mention this, and I, I don't mean to overemphasize, I don't think you could overemphasize grace. But this is important because those of you who aren't Christians, you sort of see Christianity as kind of this um, religious set of New Year's resolutions. Right? You, this, is how, this is a religion that's going to make me a better person, a more moral person, that kind of thing. Uh, Christians still sin. But they are saved. But they're saved because of what Christ did, not because of what they did. But you do have to take a step of faith. You do have to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There is something you need to do, but it's a response to what God has already done. And, 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 and again, I want to emphasize that because I think most people think you just have to, you have to be nice, go to church, and wear sweater vests. 
That's what Christianity is to a lot of people. All right, but then uh, when one comes and is filled with the Holy Spirit, a whole new wonderful thing happens. You know how we, we, like, we like Sundays and Mondays. We like having a new week. Uh, if you go back, if you journal, if you go back, whenever you started some new thing or tried to uh, uh, reform a habit or something like that in your life, it's probably going to be in a Sunday, Monday, or January, right? New Year's, which we celebrated two weeks ago in this church, you know, that's a good time for you to kind of take a look at the past. What would you like to be different in the future? We, we understand that. But here's something that's more wonderful than any New Year's resolution, more wonderful than any beginning of a week, is you actually become a brand new creation at the point of salvation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. The whole, the, the whole new things have come. So when God spoke the creation, the universe into existence, he, he, uh, with, uh, with his creative glory and power and plan, in a sense, he speaks a new a recreation into life of the person who has faith in Jesus Christ, you become a whole new person. For some of that, that becomes pretty, pretty obvious. For some of us, it's a little bit less obvious, but it's nonetheless true. Now we see here the conduct of their lives, again, drawing a contrast between sons of darkness and sons of light. He says, so then let us sleep uh, not sleep as others do. You, the so-thens of Scripture are very important. Remember, he has given you the indicatives, who you are in Christ. Now, what do you do about it? Okay, so we got we kind of go from from uh, the, the, the principles of grace to now the principles of obedience. So then let us not sleep like other do. So your belief needs to turn into action. It connects these two together. And what, so you are to act like a sons of light, not act like a son of day. So what does it mean not to sleep? Well, it means uh, he goes on to say, but let us be alert and sober here. This idea is that you are to be spiritually awake. You ought to be ready for action. Uh, I remember talking to, um, I think it was a cousin of Nancy's who was stationed in, in uh, Korea for a little while. And they were, they were, they were guarding a, a, an Air Force base. And uh, around, uh, around the perimeter of the Air Force base, there were the rock troops. You know what rock troops are? Republic of Korea. And they are tough. South Korea was invaded in 1950 by North Korea. They possessed Seoul, Korea. They held on by the skin of the teeth and the help, and the help of good old United States of America and uh, ended up winning that war. And so they are very, very, very sensitive about that they have an enemy who wants to destroy them just a few blocks away above the DMZ. So as, uh, as this person was guarding this base, uh, he heard a, a rifle shot, uh, shot uh, cry out. So everybody went to alert and everything like that, and then they found out what was going on. And a rock Republic of Korea officer had gone around, found one of his men asleep at his station, pulled out his pistol, and shot him right in the head dead. He did not receive any discipline. That was exactly what should have happened. That man risked that entire base because he had fallen asleep, and they had very high standards in the Republic of Korean troops at the time. That man paid for that with his life. Folks, God expects us to not be asleep. Not literally. Yes, you need sleep. Yes, you need seven to eight hours sleep a day, or you'll have, you know, all kinds of issues. But spiritually speaking, there's never a break. There's never a break. And today... Is, is supposed to empower you to be able to stay sober and awake all of the rest of the week. That's what the, the Lord's days 
are for. You know, this, one of the more sobering parables of Jesus is the, the parable of the ten virgins. You remember that one? There's a wedding feast and the ten virgins are invited to the feast. Five had their lamps. Uh, all ten of them had their lamps. Five had oil and five did not have oil. And the bridegroom was, uh, was delayed and they all fell asleep. And all of a sudden there was a shout. The groom has come. That's, that, that's indicative of the return of Christ. He comes through in a shout as well. And then the five who had enough oil that kept their lamps light, they got invited into the feast. The others said, well, give us a minute. We've got to go buy some more oil. So they go into town. They come back. The door is shut. And not only the door is shut, they are not let in and they are cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Five were awake spiritually. Five were dead spiritually when the Lord came back. It's, it's terrifying. It's sobering. But for the Christians, they are the ones in the feast. But for you non-Christians, you're the one outside the door. You don't want to be in that situation. You do want, want to be in that situation. Uh, so this idea of sleep uh, reflects a spiritual indifference to things. Isn't it amazing how you talk? The thing that is so very important to you, that consumes your life, you love God. You have ordered your, your family, your work, um, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your around this service of God. And you think, this is so important. Why doesn't everybody like this? But you talk to people sometimes, and it's just not even on their radar, right? Because they are asleep. There's an indifference towards spiritual things. They don't care. Their God is money. Their God is sex. Their God is sports. Their God is something else. Well, this has always been the case. Going all the way back several hundred years to the writing of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan wrote about Christian on his journey, and I'll read a little excerpt here from you. Christian went up to see uh, what might be, uh, I'm sorry, Christian comes across some, some three men who are chained together, laying in a road, and they're asleep, and they all have chains on them. Christian went up to see them, what might waken them and said to them, uh, wake up and get back to the path if you are willing. I will help take off the iron shackles. Christian's being an evangelist here. He's kind of trying to wake up these people who are sleeping spiritually. And he uh, also told them, uh, <clears throat> he that goes about like a roaring lion, the devil, comes by and finds you like this, he will destroy you with his teeth. Can you imagine laying in a road with chains on you in a, in a forest full of wolves or a jungle full of lions? That's what they were doing. With, uh, with this, they looked at Christian and began to reply to him. Foolish said, I see no danger. Sloth said, I need just a little bit more sleep. And presumption said, everyone needs to make his own choices. You need to mind your own business and not meddle in ours. So they all lay down to sleep again and Christian went on his way. And Christian was troubled to think that men in such uh, danger would have so little regard for the kindness that he had extended when he awakened them and counseled them and offered them uh, to free them from their iron shackles. That's our experience sometimes, isn't it? You know, it's interesting. Uh, when Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, those of you who've read it, I'm sure you've all read it. Read it if you haven't. <laughs> uh, when Pilgrim, you know, it starts off with him leaving his wife and family. Because he's fleeing the city of destruction and he wants to go to the celestial city. He's, he's being saved. So he leaves his wife and family. And uh, readers with Pilgrim's Progress, the number one book in all of history beside the Bible, uh, they, were, they were upset at that. And when Pilgrim's Progress was this phenomenal success, they, 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 they kept writing Bunyan, please tell us what happens to Christian's wife. So he came up with a sequel, you know. And the sequel was Christiana's 
progress. And it's about Christianity, his wife, and, and they go through some of the things. When Christianity comes by this site, in the next version, the sequel to Pilgrim's Progress, he finds those three hanging dead from a tree. Because the devil did come by, and the devil found them as sons of darkness and condemned them. Other illustrations, of course, throughout Scripture, those who sleep, Samson fell asleep in Delilah's lap and lost all his strength, eventually died. Sisera, the enemy of God's people, was sleeping in a tent when Jael drove a spike through his skull. That's probably one to skip for family devotions if you have a little children. Uh, Jonah slept, of course, in the holy ship and almost brought the entire ship down, right? There's this, this lesson all throughout Holy Scripture. Stay awake, Christian. And then he goes on to kind of uh, to, to identify some more things that happen at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Basically, if you are, if you are in the darkness uh, spiritually, that's going to re- uh, create sins physically. Uh, and you're going to basically, you're going to practice what you believe in, in your heart. So if you're a person of darkness, uh, you're, you're basically going to get drunk. In other words, you're not going to be sober. You're not going to be serious about the things of God here. I uh, think of an illustration. Uh, again, I went to seminary at Columbia National University. It's on the edge of town. It's a pretty little campus, but it's got about a mile or two of pretty rough neighborhood. Uh, between there. And a lot of seminary college students would live in that neighborhood because it was close to the campus and because it was affordable and a number of people tried to do ministry in that neighborhood. But I remember talking to one seminary student years ago that uh, he was uh, for some reason awake and he was, uh, I think he was sitting on his front porch at like two in the morning and he kept seeing people just running down the street, just tearing down the street towards the end of the street. And he saw one and he thought that was kind of odd. And then he saw another one Thought that was kind of odd. Now, this was in the day before cell phones, right? So he sees another one just tearing down the street in, in great earnest. So he thinks, well, what's going on? There must be a fire or something like that. So he gets out and he goes down the street to find out what it was. And there was these converging of people just into this house on the end, on the, end of the street. Found out that a well-known drug dealer was in town and he was selling his wares. The urgency of the children, the sons of darkness, to, to, to show their darkness uh, through excess at night was just profound. He just sat there and he thought, oh, that people would run to church that way. But the word got out, hey, he's back in town and he's running a special. And people could not get there fast enough. That may be an extreme example. That may not happen in your suburban neighborhood, but the heart's the same. The heart's the same. And Paul is trying to warn us of that. And he's making a contrast. You're the church. You are not to be this way. And of course, Jesus taught the same thing. Luke chapter 12, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave who the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on that day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with believers." Let, again, there's two audiences to every sermon. There's people who, Christians, who are in the light and they need greater light. And that, that journey of holiness is something we call sanctification. Then there's people who are in the darkness. And if you're here, the Lord is probably quick, and you are in the darkness, the Lord's probably showing you some light, quickening your spirit 
to, to believe in him. But people that are in darkness, they need the light. They got to start. That's salvation, right? Now, this message is for both. You see, there's going to be an accountability. For the non-believer, those who are in darkness, when the Lord comes back, you are going to be held accountable for every sin, every bad deed, every bad word, every waste of time, every misuse of gift. You're going to be held accountable for that, and you will be judged according to that. For the Christian, you're going to have a judgment too. It's not whether or not you're going to go to hell or not. That's already been decided. Your sins were nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And that was applied to you when you believed in Jesus Christ and when God filled you with the Holy Spirit. There's still an accountability, though. And this is one reason. No one believes this or so few people believe this or they don't think about it. This is one reason why the church is so mediocre and why so few people are really doing the work of the Lord. But there is accountability. The Lord's going to come back and he's going to hold you accountable for every work you did, every deed you did, every word you spoke. Every use of your time, every use of your dollar, and that kind of thing. And for those things, words that were encouraging and that were worship and those good deeds that you had, and you're going to get a blessing. You're going to get a reward. It's not going to be based on your sin. It's going to be rewarding you for what you did. Now, that's good news. That's real good news. But doesn't that motivate you? It kind of motivates and terrifies you. Because basically the life you spend now, how you spend it, it means that is, that's going to be the basis of rewards that you will have forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, uh, what's that nice hotel up in Asheville? The Ridgecrest Inn. No, what's that? Thing? The Grove Park Inn. Thank you. Not been to the Grove Park Inn. But if the smallest room in the smallest hall of the Grove Park Inn is probably still a really nice hotel room, right? So it's still heaven. You cannot lose your salvation. But you could have the ballroom. You could have the inn. <laughs> and where you are there, you're going to have forever and ever and ever. I want the ballroom. I want Asheville. Actually, I've been to Asheville lately, and it's been a little discouraged. But we're going to clean it up. <laughs> you know? I want the built more. Right? So, folks, we need to wake up to that truth. I really think this is just not preached. It's not taught. And that's why there's so much lukewarmness in the Christian church. And it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. So he goes on to say, but since we are the day, let us be sober. Of course, sober means to be free from influence of intoxicants. But basically, a sober person exhibits self-control, a serious, balanced uh, life, a steady life. They maintain proper uh, priorities. If you've ever tried to have a conversation with a drunk person, you know, it doesn't go well usually. It's nonsense. They can hardly, you know, stand up and that kind of thing. And that, spiritually speaking, you don't want to be that way. You want to be, you want to be sober. William Hendrickson says this, his pleasures, uh, talking about the, the son of light who is sober, his pleasures are not primarily those of his senses like the pleasures of the drunkard, for instance, but those of the soul. We take pleasure in deep things, holy things, strong things, good things. Uh, Andrew Young writes, Christians are not to be like others, as unpopular as it may uh, be to stand apart from the crowd. We need to do so. Ours is not to be a lifestyle of slumber and drunkenness, but by contrast, we are to be self-controlled and alert. 
And one, one reason why is because we are at war. We are at war. There is a spiritual battle that's going on, and we are soldiers in the army. That's why he contrasts here, talks about putting on the armor, putting on the breastplate and the, heaven, and the uh, helmet. John Calvin knows that uh, Paul is understanding that the life of Christians is like a perpetual warfare. Uh, he would have us, therefore, be diligently prepared on the alert for resistance. And, of course, he gets down into a theme that Paul loves. You have a breastplate of faith and love. What, is, what does the breastplate do? It protects your vital organs and your heart, right? So we protect that by embracing principles of faith and, and love, right? Then we have as a helmet, a hope of salvation. That's where the, the point of intellect, you know, so we have a knowledge of salvation and we have a knowledge of the return of Christ. This gives us hope. So the, the, all three of those uh, go together. When faith is weak, love grows cold. When love grows cold, hope is lost. When hope in God's promise of future glory is weak, believers are vulnerable to temptation and sin. Only those who keep the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation firmly in place can resist effectively the onslaught of the forces of darkness, says John MacArthur. Rick Phillips says this, it's not enough for Christians merely to say no to sin and worldliness, which must also actively cultivate faith, love, and hope in order to be guarded from threats that would endanger our salvation. Listen, when you let your breastplate down or you take your helmet off, you get wounded. Now look, again, you gotta, I'm not telling you, be a better person. What I'm really kind of telling you is fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you will be a better person. And this is not a burden. It's actually the, the way to enjoy life to the most supreme level possible. See, we've had this idea, well, just a little bit of sin will help me enjoy life. It will, it, sin always brings death. Faith, hope, love, that brings life. That brings life. Can't do it on your own, but God's not going to do it for you either. The Spirit works within you, and you need others, as we'll see in just a minute here. Paul emphasized this idea of faith, hope, and love when he opened this very letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father. Again, the Thessalonians are not unique. He wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 13, The night is almost gone, the day is at a hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Contemplate your weaknesses. Contemplate those areas where you fail and do something that can make no provision for those things. It may be accountability. It may be help. It may be internet browser. It may be just avoiding certain people or certain places or whatever it might be. But, but this is serious stuff. And again, it's, it, it, it feels like a burden, but what you'll actually find is a burden lifted. A burden lifted. Now we see here the condition of the destinies of verses, uh, in verses uh, 9 and 11 contrasting sons of darkness and sons of light. For God has not destined us for wrath. Uh, preaching the wrath of God is unpopular. And, and I can understand that some people seem to enjoy it. <laughs> you know? I don't think I want to go to a church where a pastor loves talking about how people are going to roast in hell. You know, uh, it, it, it's, it's tragic. But here's the truth. 
wrath is all over. God's judgment is all over Scripture. If you, there, but there are so many people out there that are highlighting their Bibles with a black Sharpie pen because it's awkward and it's hard to, hard to explain to people and it makes people feel bad. But this is one of the advantages of going through Scripture by Scripture, book by book. But I can't, I, you can't pick and choose. It's right there. If I skip this passage, somebody would say, I just skipped that passage. And I'd say, I'm a coward. That's why I suppose that. Is that not obvious? You know? So I can't skip the passage, right? Rick Phillips says, it's remarkable that Bible scholars should deny the idea of God's wrath since the Bible includes literally hundreds of references to it. And, and let me tell you this too. God would not be God if he wasn't a just God, would he? What do you think of a judge, a circuit judge, a, a city judge? Okay? Uh, someone was committing DUI and killed your child, killed your brother, killed your mom, and, killed your, and the judge says, oh, he didn't mean anything by it, just let him go. Would that be a righteous judge? Would it be a righteous God that just winks at sin and just lets things go? Some big cosmic Santa Claus. You ever notice that people on Santa's naughty list and goody, good uh, list still all get presents? I mean, has anyone ever gotten coal? Y'all don't. Y'all don't believe in Santa. I mean, I don't either. But they still get presents, okay? Because, oh, well, he'll be different next year. Probably not. <laughs> J.I. Packer rightly describes the biblical teaching of divine wrath. He says this, It's a righteous anger, the right reaction of moral protection of the Creator towards moral perversity in the, uh, of the creature. Far from questioning God's wrath, Packer says the thing that we would be morally doubtful would be for him to not show wrath in this way. God is not just unless he inflicts upon all sin and wrongdoing the penalty that it deserves. Well, again, Paul's point here is to talk about the contrast. He says, but for obtaining salvation, you're not destined for wrath. You're for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, yeah, who died for us. Y'all, that's the gospel right there. There's a little God. You can make a track out of that verse right there. Who died for us. The basis of our hope is not because we're pretty or athletic or better than our neighbor or haven't robbed a bank. The basis of our hope is Christ Jesus who died for us. This teaches substitutionary atonement, another doctrine that is attacked by liberal scholars all the time, calling it cosmic child abuse. But you can live because Christ died for you. And he, call, and he says, for us, that idea, Hooper, some have said that's maybe the most important word of all Scripture. It means in behalf of, with reference to, in our place or as our substitute. The sole basis for you being a son of light is because Christ died for you. 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it goes on to say, whether you're asleep or awake, we may live together with him here. And then, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up with these words here. We are our brother's keeper. Nancy and I were sitting around uh, the fire in the library last week with uh, Sky, the Presbyterian Wonder Dog. And I got a text. And it was an invitation from my son and his best friend to play Call of Duty uh, World at War number two, DMZ zone, okay? I missed that up. Anyway, it, you know, so you got your sons. They want to play with you and everything. It, 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 you know, you want to seize that invitation. So you put on your turtle headphones. You turn up or fire up the Xbox there, and you start playing. Here's the advantage that I have. 
the United States government spent my son, Air, uh, Navy, and his best friend, Air Force, they spent millions of dollars teaching them how to destroy foes. And they were my partners going into this game. So I'm in there. I'm the chaplain. I'm in there, and we are going in, and we are taking down terrorists left and right, okay? But the other beautiful thing is they understand combat. I'd only played this game once, I think, before because I'm... I'm uh, because I played other games because this is a nerd moment. I'm just confessing. Uh, so I'm playing this game and three times, four times, maybe five times during that game, they had to keep reminding me to re-put my armor plate in. To re-put my armor plate. I'd been shot at and I'd lost my armor plate. And they can tell when they're looking at their, they're always looking after their other team members. And they had to kind of say, Dr. Campbell, got to refill your armor plate. So you press Y and you refill your armor plate. It's really amazing, these games. Some of you have played video games since Pong. You need to come over one day and I'll introduce you to this game. They were looking after me. That's what you're to do. When are your brothers and sisters of Christ in this church, in your dorm room, in your family, when are they laying down their armor? When, have they, when do they need to refill their plates? They've been taking shots from the enemy. They've been shooting themselves in the foot. When do they need to put on the armor? We ended up being evacuated. We won the game, okay? And part of it was because I didn't bring the team down by dying there. I kept putting my plates on. Y'all, that's what we're supposed to do. He says here, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. And then in his pastoral care, he comes in and says, just as you are doing, just as you're doing. He, he wants to encourage them, right? Colossians 1 says this, He qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints of light, for He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Y'all, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about being a better person, a better student, a better executive, a better wife. It's all about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Uh, we're going to give you a little bit of time to pray about this. Again, most of you are in light. You need to go into greater light. You need to take serious the accountability that the Lord will hold you to with joy about how you're living your life. Some of you are in darkness and you just need to get saved. We've been there. That's why we're sort of urgent about this. And we're going to give you an, an opportunity. For the Christians, you pray that God would sanctify you and that you would live in the light of his return and that you would set aside whatever deeds of darkness you're peddling, peddling around with. For those of you who are in darkness or who are online that are not Christians, you're not born again, quit fooling yourself. If you're not walking like this, you're not really a Christian. You may have been baptized. You may be a member of a church. But I think most people with the title Christian aren't real Christians. Uh, they're just sort of playing the game. But that game will be over at the return of Christ, and we'll know who are real players. So if you're not a Christian, you take this moment, this opportunity to cry out for mercy, to claim the blood of Jesus Christ, to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, that you could transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Mrs. Dunlap's going to play some music. Y'all pray for this, and I'll close this in, in just a little while.
Father, we do come for you and appeal to your great mercies, all of us. For the Christians, they, they know they're not as sanctified as they would like to be. We look at the example of Christ and we want to be like him. In our heart of hearts, the thing we want more than anything is to be holy. And we're such a disappointment to ourselves sometimes. So I pray, God, that we would know your grace and your love and your acceptance and your affirmation. And that because we are adopted children of God, that we would act like adopted children of God. Let us look forward to your return and not leave in shame because we wasted our life. And for the non-Christian, I pray, God, that you would transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That you'd fill them with the Holy Spirit. That they would cry out for mercy. That they would be born again. That they would be saved. And they would lead a life that blesses you. And that you would take them from dread of the return of Christ to joy at the return of Christ. Only you can do these things, God. So we pray for a power of sanctification and for salvation and that you would just uh, use this church to bring this message to others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.